The Money Show. Other people's money. I first heard of Peter Armitage 20-something years ago, a project called Africam. Today, he is the very successful founder of Anchor Capital after spending many years working at Investec. I'm going to try and piece it all together in a sequence that makes sense, but let's just get Africam out of the way here, Peter Armitage. Um, it was an interesting experiment in the, the sort of baby steps phase of this marvellous thing called the internet, which was kind of squeaky clean and new at the time, uh, and this wonderful thing called the tech bubble that we didn't know yet was a bubble. Yes, Bruce, it was a, a wonderful time of my life. I think in the, right in the early days of the internet where people weren't really sure how to make money out of millions of viewers, um, we were probably about five or six years too early. So we broadcast wildlife <clears throat> from all over the world onto the internet. Um, and I think we peaked in, must have been around September 2000 or 2001. It's at, a, at about 43 million viewers in, in a month. Um, but it was very difficult to find a way to monetize that. I think internet advertising was still in its infancy and people weren't really familiar or hadn't really bought into putting uh, adverts on computer screens. Uh, but a uh, wonderful uh, journey. Yeah. Uh, a wonderful idea. I mean, to, to put cameras up at water holes and, I mean, today the technology would be that much better and you get much better clarity. I don't know what the quality was like then. Broadband speeds were slow. Um, but it was an exciting idea, and as you say, a little bit ahead of its time. Um, and you, 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 you tried. You cut your losses, and and you moved on. Did you keep your day job in those days while you were while you were trying this? <laughs> no, no. I spent about three years out of the market in that space. Um, and in fact, we got quite close to listing the business. We had final listing documents uh, on the London Stock Exchange at a value of about two hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, but ultimately, there was no underlying value or earnings. Uh, then the the Nasdaq crash happened, and all the corporate financiers who were courting us for the kind of year before, we never heard from one of them ever again. <laughs> so certainly a lot of lessons there. <laughs> uh, what, what, are the, what, what, what do you recall as the chief lessons? I mean, you know, uh, fair weather friends are supposed <clears throat> to be avoided, amongst other things. Yeah, I think, I mean, don't get ahead of yourself. I think we um, we also got caught up in our in our own story. Um, I think, you know, there, there were some times when some quite high-profile high people um, offered us, you know, quite big chunks of money, if you look back now, for stakes in the business. Um, but we constantly kept on thinking it could be worth multiples of what they said. So, you know, the lesson is probably cash in. Um, don't, don't, don't be nervous to cash in a little bit in the early days, especially if something's overvalued. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, you know, surround yourself with good people and advisors. I think the, you know, if I'd taken the advice of some of the, I think I was 30 at the time, um, of some people who've been around for a long, long time, um, you know, to understand that uh, there's there's no such thing as easy money, uh, but there are times when things get very attractive valuations uh, and and when the market's in the mood to value something uh, at, at, at a level above what it's fundamentally worth, um, you know, it's probably worthwhile taking a few chips off the table. It's very easy, I suppose, with uh, with hindsight, and this is where your your the the your investment markets experience is no doubt invaluable to keep you sane at a time like this, where it's all well and good to look back and say, well, you we need better advisors, we need, but you kind of this is the, was the wild west of the internet for goodness sake, anything was possible, 
we thought at the time. Um, and this was going to change business models. It was going to chuck out the old and introduce the new. And in many ways it did, but not in a way that we thought it would. Um, were you investment markets before you went and, and tried Africa? What were you doing before that? Yeah, so Bruce, I started off as an analyst in the markets at about 24. Um, so I'd been in the markets for about five or six years. I'd, I'd achieved some nice ratings and was a highly rated analyst. And, you know, and, and I think uh, got filled with quite a bit of hubris um, and, you know, decided these to idi- try. <laughs> but did you have the thought, forgive the interruption, did you have the thought, look at the sure. idiots who run these businesses that I analyze. I tell them how to run their businesses better. None of these fools listen to me, and obviously they should. I can do it better. I'm 30 years old. This internet thing is going to be huge. Let's take over the world. Was it a bit like that? No, absolutely, Bruce. So you, <coughs> you sit on the sidelines watching people make a lot of money, and yep. uh, you go, well, I can do this better myself. Uh, I, I still remember Bill Lynch from Imperial, the own Turvest at the time, yes. and yes. I resigned as an analyst. And I'd been an Imperial analyst for quite some time. And he said to me he'd support me in whatever I was doing. <clears throat> so ab- about a year later, I called him in. He actually drove to our offices and I said I wanted his tourism company to advertise on the African website. And he looked at me quizzically in his beautiful Irish accent and said, Peter, you know, who's going to pay money for an advert on a, tele- on a computer screen? So, uh, you know, even a great supporter, it was hard to, hard to get him to put some money behind it. Yeah. Uh, no, but, was, you know, today, I think man, 70% man. of advertising is, is online. No, exactly. But, I mean, that's now. That was then. And as you say, you were ahead of your time. Uh, then you, you, you abandoned hopes of being an internet giant. Uh, and was that <laughs> when, you, when you went back to Investec and back to your analyst roots, was it? Yeah, my wife told me to go and get a day job again. Um, so I went back into the investment world. I always had an entrepreneurial bent, um, but I think starting a business in wealth or asset management, you need to have 10, 20 years of experience behind you. You need to have gone through some market crashes. So I paid my school fees, went back, and at the age of 40, um, just over 10 years ago, I um, I started uh, I started Anchor and, with, and, and really started off being entrepreneurial in a space that uh, there was a lot more certainty and I knew, knew a lot more about. And the structure of Anchor, you, you started off as a listed company. You listed almost immediately. Um, you later <coughs> delisted, and we'll get to the reasons behind that. But but what were, what, what were you differentiating with? How were you going to be different in a market awash with micro um, wealth managers and massive <coughs> wealth managers? How were you going to find a gap in the market? Um, so, Bruce, I think it was all just about energy. You know, I think if you mix energy and caliber and a bit of capital, um, those are the key ingredients to make it happen. So we had kind of a possibly a naive belief in the fact that we could grow a business. And we listed it very early on. Uh, And again, you know, I think it was a little bit different this time around. We listed a business making about 5 million rand. Uh, Within a year, the market capitalization was over 2 billion. Um, But I'd learned the African lessons. And this time we cashed in. Not, not so much by selling our stakes in the business, but we raised quite a lot of capital at a high valuation. And that gave us some market presence and it gave us uh, some, some capital to get some critical mass. <clears throat> so we built a base and um, created a platform for, for great people to operate on. And the secret of our business, which has got to over 100 billion rand and you know, I think probably the biggest independent wealth manager in the country, was to create a place and a culture that people wanted to work for. 
So we've attracted a lot of people across from the big banks and insurers who've brought their client base with us. And that's really been the secret behind our growth. Uh, did, and on day one, did you have sort of a, an anchor client? Did you start with zero investments on your books? Uh, what was day one like? <laughs> we started absolutely with zero. Um, didn't really have a business plan when I left Investec. It took probably six months to get it started. Um, but I'd got Ivan Clark from Grinrod as as a, a kind of funding shareholder. My wife had told me that I couldn't dip into the coffers to fund the working capital. Um, so he was our first investor. Uh, and then over the course of the first year, we we just hit the phone. I think the um, one of the secrets of business is is simply to just start communicating and get out there. And the, the mates of mine that I started with, Matthew Norwood Young, we, he made me sit down and he, uh, he asked me who, who could possibly give us money. And we went through a phone list and we hit the phone and started meeting with people. Um, so I think at the end of the year, we had about a billion rand of assets. Uh, then Mark Teke, who's a well-known uh, yeah. entrepreneur in South Africa now, bought into the business. Uh, and you know, he, he brought, some, brought some of his uh, kind of peers with him. And uh, so we set off on our journey. It's astonishing the hustle of starting a business. And you, you come from large corporate, and large corporate is great. Uh, and I've seen a comment from you saying, you know, it, it's, also, it's awesome. Uh, Investec was a really good place to work. It was a high-quality organization. But you are an employee in a big business. You're a, a wheel. You're a cog in a machine, I suppose. Uh, the, that reality check of leaving the, the, the machine with all of the luxury that it represents and going out and knocking on doors for six months uh, is a reality faced by many startup people going to start up for the first time, but it must be quite terrifying. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You've got to pay the bills every month. Uh, and then as you bring more people onto the business, you've got to make sure that you can quite quickly cover their salaries and their costs. So I think the, you know, the hunger that comes with that and the determination to provide an incredible service so that people want to tell their mates because ultimately, you know, South Africa is a small country. Um, it's the, the the high net worth market is small, and and uh, you know you need people to recommend your services to their friends, and everybody will find out quite quickly if you're not for real. So we, you know, we always invested um, quite deeply in our investment resources. Today we've got full time, you know, full time investment team of twenty people, um, and we just had to continue making sure that. Uh, we were at the cutting edge and providing great service to people. When you talk about having 20 investment people and being at the cutting edge and providing great service, those are fairly generic terms. Uh, you, you, These people who are doing fundamental analysis of businesses, who are making recommendations to clients, or who are managing portfolios of in-house recommendations, describe the structure. Yeah, so we've... Um, We've got about 75% of our business is high net worth individuals and about 25% corporate. So I think the biggest on the corporate side, we managed the, the Deloitte Pension Fund, uh, as an example. Um, but in the high net worth space, um, it's really about understanding people better. And I think the bigger businesses, you know, the, the, the really big players in the space, you get to a stage where it's kind of bucket A, B or C from an investment point of view. And that they, they tend to, you know, the more homogenous is, it is, the better. I think what we were able to do, and hopefully still able to do, is to sit with guys who've made some money and design something specifically for them. Um, so not to provide kind of a, a standardized uh, offering to the same people. And, you know, three people with the same amount of wealth who walk into our office and we'll have different solutions for each of them. So the investment team looks at assets globally and locally, 
bonds, property, equities, etc. Uh, and then we, we, we kind of design and, and use those resources and opinions and the funds that we have um, to suit people. I think in our DNA is equities. Um, you know, I've always been yeah. an equity man. I love the concept of being able to hire and fire any CEO in the world at a moment's notice. And, uh, you know, you can work hard and then put your money at, uh, to one side and let, uh, let uh, Tim Cook from Apple carry on growing it. There's nothing like having Tim Cook working for you, is there? I mean, you get the smartest people in the world uh, making you rich, which is ultimately uh, the goal of every investor. Your your wife is very influential in your life when it comes to personal finances. Um, this is a personal finance feature, of course. Um, and has she prevented you from making silly mistakes? Has she has her uh, demand that you've not taken family family capital and put it in the business constrained you in any way? No, not at all. She's let me get on with my adventures. Uh, but I think she's always been there, you know, as a great support base and uh, also a reminder of, uh, and I think there's nothing more, you know, no bigger an anchor than having three kids and having a family and making yes. sure that every month you've got the bills there to pay. So I think, Focus, you know, it's focuses, important yeah. to have, yeah, you know, to, to have a portion of risk capital that, and, but to draw a line there and, you know, to make sure that you're, your capital base that you've created and worked so hard for over the years isn't impacted. And, uh, but it's, you know, you've got to take some risk sometime, but to, to measure that and be quite clear from the outset, what proportion you prepared to risk. Is all of your, your money, your personal money invested via anchor? Is any of your money invested via anchor? Well, the listed stuff obviously is, you know, we, 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 from a regulatory point of view, we, we're not allowed to invest outside of our business. And also, I, I think if I didn't want to invest with my own business, we'd be doing something wrong. Correct. So my listed investments are obviously the the stuff outside of that um, isn't under the anchor banner. Uh, and what? Well, okay. Now, without obviously you know giving away the family secrets here, what what sort of things are outside of the listed space? What what lights your jets in terms of? Yes, listed investments are what most people um, have got access to, and very few people are able to put money into private ventures. But do you invest in other people's big ideas? Do you, you buy game farms, wine farms, private jets? What are we talking about here? Yeah, so I think um, like anybody who's made a bit of money at a time, you've got some money in property. Um, so I've got various property investments in South Africa. I think um, most of those haven't done nearly as well as the market. And I think one goes goes through phases in life where you buy property with people. I think the last five years I've been a seller of property rather than a buyer and getting it smaller and smaller. I think the, you know, and obviously a big portion of my wealth sits in my shares in, in Anchor, the business that we started. Sure. Um, and it's, uh, I've never sold, I might have, I've never sold a share in Anchor. My wife sold some shares when we were listed. She wasn't sure that it was actually real. So we <laughs> sold some shares for her so she could see some cash in the bank. And afterwards, one of uh, Anthony Clark, one of the analysts out there, put yes. a comment on Twitter saying, uh, you know, it was clear that the fridge was empty and needed to be filled up. When it comes to property, um, are these lifestyle properties that you buy with the hope that they'll grow in value? Do you end up buying, I don't know, small town shopping centers, office buildings? Because uh, no, that all just requires a lot of management. When you talk about property, what sort of property are we thinking here? No, I, I haven't really ever got into the development world. I, th I have invested... In our business, we come across a lot, of, a lot of development opportunities that we put a lot of our clients into. So we, I've invested alongside clients in that. Um, 
in terms of direct property, it's really lifestyle stuff that we've yeah. invested in. I've invested in quite a few properties with some mates. Um, but it's, you know, it does actually don't land. Those land up being lifestyle investments that cost you money uh, as opposed to real investments. And ultimately, you know, we, we, we have got to, from a conclusion point of view, is rather to invest in listed equity um, because the transaction costs on property are so big. You know, I've recently been looking at the Cape Town markets and the transfer duty on getting into a Cape Town property is three years of rental. Um, so, you know, you have to be pretty convinced that there's some quite nice capital growth yeah. in there. And then, of course, I've invested in some, you know, some private businesses. It's a, so if you if you put a little bit of money behind good people, you can have an amazing compounding effect. How, and it's people that multiply money, nothing else. How how do you take your experience, somebody who has analyzed companies, so you've got a really strong base from which to look at a business model, look at management because that's your training, and then somebody comes to you, and you, you're not a venture capitalist by any stretch, but you have got, I mean, there are lots of people in your position who do back talent. It's a bit like Dragon's Den or whatever the case might be, but with real money in real time and real businesses um, without the, uh, the razzmatazz of TV. How do you go, how do you approach that? So Bruce, 99% of it is the people. Um, I think if you back, uh, you know, there's certain people out there who whatever they did, I would put some money behind them. Um, they've got good business sense and, and can uh, smell a good business opportunity. Um, and people with some hunger and appetite to grow. Uh, and then the business model is crucially important. And I think the, 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 the biggest reason why people fail is negative cash flows. And if you, if you start a business and, you know, you know, you still got negative cash flows at the end of, end of year one and your capital's used up, you end up giving away a hell of a lot of your equity to just keep on going. So businesses that have got positive cash flow potential and that don't require too much capital investment and working capital cycles. You know, a lot of good businesses out there have got great income statements, um, but, you know, you constantly have to invest in debtors and stock in order to grow. So those are the, the key things that I would look at. Um, and then just in, into a marketplace, it's got some potential and some growth. And I think the challenge in South Africa is it's very stagnant. Yeah. And it's, you know, what people don't appreciate, if you're in a growing market, if it's growing by 5% a year, the opportunities are, are multiples of something that's going stagnant because that growth is, you know, what creates the new new buyers and the new opportunity. Correct. Uh, are you a, a big spender? Do you like, I don't know, big brands? Do you like expensive holidays? Do you buy artworks that you stack up in the basement and occasionally bring out the family Picasso to, to impress uh, family and friends? Uh, do you do that kind of stuff? <laughs> Uh, no, not really. I, I think the only thing that I'm prepared to uh, spend a, a bit of money on is travel and, um, you know, spending time with the family. And I think, uh, you know, the older you get, the more you realize those opportunities are limited. Um, yeah. Your kids get into their teens and move on. And it's so I don't, I don't mind spending a bit of money on uh, a nice kind of luxury holiday experience. Um, in terms of, I'm not really that attached to things. I think the... Um, you know, I think probably the worst decision I made was buying a fancy car uh, five years ago, and I went to try and get the trade in the other day. And I did the maths of, you know, if I put the money in an investment, it would have doubled over five years. <laughs> Putting it into a fancy car, it goes down 60%. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's crazy. So, so, I mean, I you know, we look after ourselves. I'm, I'm a measured spender. Um, but I think experiences are something I'm prepared to spend some money on. 
Uh, this car, are you going to drive it till the wheels fall off then? So when I got offered that trade and I came home and said to my wife, I'm driving that car for the next five years. Yeah. Um, because it's at the end of the day, it's not that important. Uh, but, I, you know, especially in the early days when you set off and, you know, rather buying a 200,000 Rand used car compared to a 500,000 Rand new car, if you just do the maths on a spreadsheet, and, you know, one of the rules of life is try and become an interest earner rather than interest payer. Yeah. Because the end results, you know, I mean, all those all those good old stories about compounding um, are, are really real. But you seem to accumulate it so much more slowly than <laughs> when it's going against you. I mean, the rates are higher, and but it's just you know, the, the cost of buying stuff over a period of time and paying interest to other people who are making the real money um, is, is debilitating, absolutely debilitating. If you do have one bad spending habit, if there's one thing that you wish you didn't do, what would it be? Um, I think... Um Probably spending money on cigarettes, but I've, I've ah. tried to stop that. Uh, the compounding on the, if you work out that spend over time, it's ridiculous. Um, but hopefully we're, we're getting that sorted. Well done. Um, I think the, yeah, and it's, I mean, just uh, probably getting, uh, uh, in the early days especially, getting getting caught up in great stock market stories where the substance wasn't there. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've done that for quite some years. Um you know, but the, the more and more you've, you've been invested, you realize good, solid businesses with um, with predictable, strong cash flows ultimately is where the money made, money's made. If a 30-year-old with bright eyes came to you and said, you know what, I've got this idea. We're going to put cameras at waterholes. And then we're going to get people <laughs> to advertise. Would you back them? Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> right now starting that off, I think it's a bit late to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I'm fascinated sort of by. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by you know putting some money behind somebody who's got an idea and an energy to do it, and I think the energy, hunger, and some caliber, you know, somebody who's got a little bit of experience and knows what they're talking about, it can't just be a crazy idea. Uh, but that, that's that's very exciting, and it's a, uh, you know, I, I think that's how I've made my way. I've had supporters and backers who back my crazy ideas and, and the intent to do to do things and to make things happen. Um, so it's, you know, it's something that's that's amazing to see. And if you can get something right, you know, if you, if you can get a business right, equity value can, uh, you know, can multiply many times in value. And also just simple compounding. You know, I think back yeah. to, I don't know, 10 years ago, starting putting 10,000 rand a month into a unit trust, into one of our unit trusts, some of my kids, well, all three of my kids actually, um, you know, when you look at where that is 10 years later, it's, it's amazing. And it's, you know, you talk about how long it takes to create wealth. I think the just the discipline of, of putting money away and having a segment of your money that's uh, that's almost, you know, it's it's like expenditure. Uh, you let that compound. That, that works incredibly well. We must leave it there. Peter Armitage, thank you very, very much indeed. The founder and chief executive of Anchor Capital, Other People's Money.